0: ancient land of israel is a testimony an evidence of the greatness of what god did in that country a testimony to the truth
1: of the words that we find in the pages of the bible on the shore of the mediterranean sea stand the ruins of one of the great marvels of the ancient world herod's city called Caesarea. It's a place we can go to remember how great Herod was. But it's a place that also helps us to understand what the Bible says is really lasting or what really matters. somebody because if it had been rounded just by the water, it could not have been that square on the edges and that smooth and flat on the top, see? So that would be a piece of a sheet of marble or something that too. Yeah, that could be like a, a, one of those floor pieces or a step or a sheet of marble that you cover something with. That's a very nice one. Herod was notorious for wanting to build things that defied nature. He always built bigger than you would be able to. He built in places you shouldn't be able to. When you see his palace at Masada hanging out into space, for example. And in this case, he actually built out into the Mediterranean, almost as if, to say, even the Mediterranean isn't big enough. Back here, they've discovered Herod had the typical Roman bath. There's a hot room, a cold room, and a lukewarm room, whatever you wanted. And you see some of the mosaic floors, although those floors, from what I recently read, were over top of the one that was there in Herod's time. Herod's time floor probably was marble, and they found evidence of that marble here. But these floors were put on maybe by his son. But the crowning thing about this was this pool in the middle here. Okay, You can see basically the outline, and it's full of rocks and things right now, but you can see where the far side was to it. <laughs> so the pool ran from there to where the other side is. This is probably a later addition, as you can tell, different shape. So that was the pool. So, you get a sense of the glory of Herod, the palace from back here, all the way out into the Mediterranean. Over there on the other side of that wall, which is a later edition, he had a port, a small place where a ship could dock. You got off the ship, and without ever even entering the city, you were inside of Herod's palace. You could have an audience with him or whatever. Incredible stuff, and I don't know if you can feel that, but from a construction point of view, to put this all together with that huge palace, is absolutely fantastic, really. Welcome this morning, beautiful morning to Caesarea. The story of Caesarea we could first set up by talking a bit about our geography again and remembering where we are and how this relates to the rest of the country. Geographically, we're on the northern end of the coastal plain today, the opposite end of the Philistine plain. Philistine plain is down to the south. We're up here on the coastal plain in an area called the Plain of Sharon, just to the north of here, not very far you'll discover that the plain actually runs out as Mount Carmel cuts over to the Mediterranean and puts an end to the coastal plain. So we're right at the northern end of the coastal plain. In the ancient world, again, a very significant strategic area because that very important ancient road, the Via Maris, came from the east, from Damascus and beyond, from Babylon, Assyria and Persia, came out here to the coastal plain in order to head south and on by Gezer where we were that first night. You remember the Tel Gezer there guard of the road. So this was Via Maris country. This was very important to the sea, the way of the sea. And that made this a very, very significant area. The story, however, of this place really takes us out of the Old Testament period, out of the period of the kings and the Iron Age into the New Testament period. You have to imagine yourself back about 40 B.C. There's a governor of Galilee whose name is Herod. His father, Antipater, was an Idumean. Well, this Herod had become the governor of Galilee, and the new emperor, Caesar Augustus, appoints Herod to be the king of Judea. And so begins a long and bloody and interesting period of time during which the Herod family is in control of the land that we call Israel, and during that period of time, the New Testament happens as we know it. Jesus was born under Herod, he died under uh, a later Herod, and much of the early church, at least that we read about in the book of Acts, lived under Herod one of the Herod's sons or grandsons. So that Herod family tree is all throughout the New Testament and all throughout our period, and that's how it began. Now, what did the Romans want from Herod? Really, they wanted three things as their king of this particular area. One, they wanted Herod to provide a buffer against those Parthians and Indoneans to the south. And so Herod had to keep them out. Two, they wanted Herod to introduce Roman culture so that this truly could become a Roman colony And three, they wanted Herod to provide an economic base here so that the Roman world out there across the Mediterranean could access what goes on this trade route that runs through here. Now that's where the story begins for us here because Herod lacked a good seaport. So Herod selected this location to build the largest man-made port that had ever been made at that time, a port to rival that of Alexandria, and to, in a sense, be kind of a balance as a Roman city to the Jewish city of Jerusalem. He became known as Caesarea. He started building it in 22 BC and he named it after his friend Caesar and he called it Caesarea or Caesarea after the Caesar who had put him in power. One of the things he put in this city was the magnificent structures necessary for culture and you're sitting in a 4,000 seat theater. Now, you need to know that the theater itself has been, to a certain extent, reconstructed. But at the very least, you're sitting in the framework of the structure that was a 4,000-seat theater. It was designed in such a way that the wind from the Mediterranean would bring the voices of those who were on stage, off the stage, and up to the audience, so even in the very back row, you can hear the voices of people. Just beyond the wall that you see is a large palace that Herod built actually sticking out into the Mediterranean. To the north of that slightly is a large amphitheater just being discovered and being excavated. Huge, where the Olympic-style games could be carried on, which Herod instituted in this part of the country. To the north of that is the city itself, with a grid of streets that are laid out in a beautiful pattern, almost like they would be in a modern city. Sewers under all the streets that Herod designed in such a way that the water from the Mediterranean could sweep through those sewers and actually flush out the city. To the north of that yet, running water. There it built aqueducts that went all the way from this city, nine miles to the north, to the base of Mount Carmel, and then six miles of shafts and tunnels in the mountain itself to bring running fresh water so that this city would have fresh water. In other words, a spectacularly modern city in biblical times to rival any city in the world in all of its glory, even maybe Rome itself. Herod the Great died in about 4 BC or somewhere around there, shortly before uh, the turn into the common era or into what we call the Christian era. Herod died and his son became the king or at least the tetrarch of this particular party. Now there's a story told here about his son Herod that goes like this. Herod went from Judea to Caesarea. Now this is a different Herod, but it's the same Caesarea and the same Judea. He stayed there for a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to increase and spread. So we have an example here of a son of Herod whose life was very much like his father's. He was also a great builder, but at that point was unwilling to acknowledge God, and so he was struck dead here. After Herod's death, this city became more of a cosmopolitan city. It was largely Gentile. It had a fairly small Jewish population, and it became the regional governor's place, including the governor Pontius Pilate. The city then becomes a seaport, and access to the Roman world. Now, for us as Christians, there's a different focus on this particular city. Because this city becomes the place where the message of God's gospel and God's salvation moves from its Jewish roots out to the Gentile world. Apostle Paul leaves from this particular city on some of his missionary journeys. Not all of them. But at least some of them. So we can honestly say that much of the Gospels going out to the European world came through here. Then he comes back here from having been uh, across the sea and he goes to Jerusalem and he's accused by the temple authorities of desecrating the temple in Jerusalem by bringing a Gentile into the courts of the temple where a Gentile didn't belong. Well, he's arrested. His life is threatened because there's a plot among those temple authorities to terminate Paul's life. So Paul is brought here by the centurion who's in charge in Jerusalem. The soldiers took Paul with them. The cavalry arrived in Caesarea. They delivered the letter about Paul to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in herod's praetorium or herod's palace paul then proceeds to have audiences with three different individuals festus king agrippa and felix festus and felix roman governors agrippa the grandson of herod the great and then he appeals to caesar or half caesar so he gets on a boat out here and sails out of herod's port out into the mediterranean and to rome where according to church history he's killed so this becomes, in a way, the last chapter of Paul's life, just like I think in some ways it's the first chapter of his ministry. Up until this very moment when Paul left here, Christianity was Jewish. Now it becomes Gentile. To me, it is so incredibly impressive that God takes a man as glorious and spectacular as Herod. I mean, look at. I know it's a reconstruction but imagine the glory compared to what you saw from hezekiah even look at the glory of this man that seaport huge seaport largest seaport in the world bigger even than the seaport in rome or piraeus the seaport in athens and god uses that so that you could be included in this community of people who believe now think about the god who so carefully works in history that at the right moment when he was exactly ready to say my gospel will move from its jewish base to its gentile application without losing its roots of course at that very moment herod was in place so that there would be a seaport <coughs> a city here to support the seaport so those missionaries could go out think of all the things that god has created that we have access to which could become our tools to reaching the world for Jesus Christ. I get goosebumps just standing here thinking about all of this, with all its glory, Herod was a glorious great builder, being God's way of saying, it's now time. Galatians says when the time had fully come, Jesus came into the world. A big part of your time being you fully come was Herod. This remains a metropolitan Hellenistic city, the New York City, if you will, of Israel. Then in 64 AD, there was a riot here. There had been some confrontation and conflict between the few Jewish people who lived in this town and the area around, and the Gentiles, and they had gone back and forth over a number of things. And one day, in 64 AD, there was a riot here. And the Hellenistic, the Greek, the Roman community rose up and said, we've had enough of these Jewish people always creating these problems for us, and there was a slaughter of, for the most part, innocent Jewish people here by Roman Greek citizens, started what we know as the Jewish Revolt. And it resulted, finally, in the Roman army coming here through this seaport and from Syria and from Egypt, and slowly, methodically destroying the country of Israel, including in 70 AD the Temple in Jerusalem and in 73 AD Masada. When the Roman soldiers came here, they looked at this city, with all of its beauty and glory, built by Herod, the half-Jew, Idumean, and they said, this city is a symbol of Jewish arrogance. This city stands as a monument to great Jewishness, it's where the revolt began, we're gonna terminate this city. And so today, when you walk on the beach, you will see literally millions of the tiny pieces of Herod's dream. stones here. This piece of marble is something that washed up out of the Mediterranean sometime in the past after the Roman soldiers had thrown it there. And that's all that's left of Herod's dream. And you come here to think about Herod and you remember Herod, but probably about the only thing you knew about Herod is that he killed those babies in Bethlehem about two thousand years ago. And the reason for that, I think, is that Herod built for Herod he wanted the world to know how great Herod was. He wanted people to admire his ability, his construction. He wanted to advance his political agenda. And so what's left of Herod? His ruins. Because Herod lived for Herod. This other little stone isn't nearly as authentic, but it's a stone like you throw in a sling and I'm thinking of a little place to the south of here and a little bit east called Ala Valley and in that valley a little boy about 10 12 13 years old took a sling stone like this and he threw it and Goliath fell dead God's plan of salvation was saved but the interesting thing is you will never forget it First, Bible stories you ever learned was about the greatness of David. And the difference was not the kind of story they built with. The difference is what the Bible tells us. That is, David did it so that the whole world would know who was God. So, what we pick up on the Mediterranean today are the broken pieces of Herod's dream. Because Herod built for himself and his glory. Now, my thought for you is this, some of you have been given marble. you have incredible talents, you have positions and jobs that affect lots of people, you have opportunities to interact with people in life. Some of us might say, well, I'm more a limestone kind of person, I have a pretty ordinary life and I see a few people and, but you see, that's not the key. The key is, who will you live for? And I wonder that after I'm gone and people walk along and look at what's left of my life, whether they will pick up the pieces of my dreams and say, pretty interesting, but he lived for him. Or will they say, really amazing what happens when you live for God. So I'd like to challenge you with that. Today. I'd like to challenge you to think about what God's given you in your life, and what you've built or what you've done. And just to ask you that simple question, who is it for?
2: So any first first thoughts, new ways of looking at things from, from this video?
1: The writing in Ecclesiastes 1, talking about meaningless,
3: meaningless, right? I was talking about um, what the people gain from all the labor which they toil under the sun. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. And then down in like eleven talks about no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come would not remember, be remembered by those who follow them. And so I'm thinking, while well, we know some history, we don't really know him at
0: all.
3: Yeah. You, you don't know your, your great-grandfather, you know, yeah. And we won't remember, be remembered in a few years.
2: Yeah, the only thing we know about Herod is, like Ray said, he was the bad guy. We don't remember him for him. We remember him as being an antagonist in someone else's story. Mm -hmm. He's just that extra. He would have been way down on the credits of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I
4: kind of went away with is um, that it's not all about me. It's about god yes ma'am and a lot of millennials need
2: to learn that <laughs> for sure <laughs> a
5: little commentary there. <laughs> i believe this was the herod who knew that
3: he was not white he knew when uh-huh. his death came it was going to be a time for celebration so he had a plan that they would go out and round up a whole bunch of the people. And
0: when he died, they would put them to death
2: because people were born for their loved ones who had died. And that's the of the audience of evil. Yeah. Yeah, somebody's not good when you're going to have a party after they're gone. We um, Recently at work, we had a an employee who was fairly toxic and she left on a Friday and <coughs> on a Monday her team members had a party because she was no longer there. Yeah, that's... Kind of, a, the rest of it, a good laugh out of that. interesting thing about Herod
3: is that uh, when he did die, he, they had to hide his grave mm-hmm. for fear that uh, people would come and desecrate
0: him. Yeah. We still don't know where he's going. Mm-hmm. Don't
4: care. <laughs>
0: I think it's interesting, the very last part of the film, when he talked about David, the significant difference between Herod the Great and what he's remembered for and how little he's really remembered, except as a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And David, I mean, like Richard said, you know, most people are forgotten about, but I hope that, you know, when I'm dead and gone, somebody will remember that I have a legacy of children that aren't bad guys, (laughs) you know? And so, you know, with David, look how we revere who even though imperfect as he was, mm-hmm. Dave is remembered through the centuries. All because he lived for God. He was a man after God's own heart. Flawed? Oh my goodness, yes. I'll remember you. <laughs> Apparently I'm dying first. <laughs> <laughs> She'll see to it.
5: <laughs> uh, well. And the thing is, he wasn't just—it wasn't just Caesarea. He built all over the place, and uh, the temple that he—I I think it's Herod the Great, maybe his son—but mm-hmm. sure. they just finished it, and then in no time, it's gone. No. Um, and I was—I uh, happened to be turning to a place in Isaiah.
2: Shameless plug, Dad's teaching Isaiah on Sunday mornings.
5: Uh, But now Isaiah 40, starting in verse 23, it's talking about God who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. Then he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty sobering words. And that's the great guys of history. And gals, I guess, uh, of history.
3: Let me springboard off of Isaiah there, because in uh, chapter eight, Isaiah does something that many of us don't do that that talks about what, what David was. David stepped up to what God called for. And many of the characters in the Bible uh, backed off from the door that was opened. Yep. And you think about Moses, you think about Gideon, you think about many of them. Uh, yet David stepped up. And I guess what Vanderlon is telling us is that are we willing to step up to the door that God opens for us?
2: It's a good question. Any other first thoughts before we get into the uh raised questions in the book?
0: Is it raised questions? Yeah. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize I knew he had I knew Herod had built the temple. I did not realize just how mm-hmm. spectacular Caesarea was. Um, that's a, especially just building a seaport um, like that. It, that's pretty impressive to be able to do that. Um, but anyway. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So what do people today pursue in order to appear successful and what kind of monuments to themselves do they build? Presidential
0: library. Yeah. Some of those on <laughs> houses. You say personal residence. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Corporations. is yeah. an example. <laughs> yes, ma'am. What type of car do I drive? <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think of there are a lot of buildings on a lot of universities with with somebody's name on them.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking, uh, as, as all these people, these billionaires, uh, see their money, they go philanthropic. Yep, they've
2: got their found. They have their foundations.
3: They have their foundations so that they, they are takes be remembered for something. I
0: mm-hmm. think it's deeper than that, though. And they have that much money; they don't have any. Get a sense of not being worth
2: anything, and they do it because there's fulfillment there. And a lot of these things aren't necessarily aren't necessarily bad, but it comes back to the point of who are you doing it for? Obviously. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that having nice buildings and nice facilities on universities around the country is a bad thing, but do you do it because you believe in it or do you do it because you want your name on the building? Um, that's a big difference. Are you
3: watching Charlie school? Yeah.
2: <laughs> not to talk about rowing teams or anything like that. <laughs>
4: Well, if you think about it, some of the people who have names on buildings, on the universities, they may not be really known anywhere else to anybody to be a person of great significance. And then they do that, I think, in size because they're not very well known. And so if I, get, if I can donate the money to get a building built, put my name, get my name on it, then... Somebody'll remember me, and somebody'll. I wonder who that was, and then they'll go try to figure out who was. But yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that do a lot of things with <clears> foundations <throat> and stuff like that. They have buckets of money, but they don't have necessarily the name recognition. And mm-hmm. those foundations may be, they may be very good. It may be very philanthropic, and they may do a lot of good in certain in whatever area they choose, charitably but the person himself may be more of a David than a Harry. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a sad comment really on today's world because in the past on university campuses, buildings were named for people who made actual contributions not money contributions, but they were outstanding members of the faculty or, or made some sort of significant contribution to that university. And a lot of those buildings that used to have other people's names on it are being erased. And the people who come in with the big bucks, they're the ones that are getting their names on now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it's kind of like looking at what type of immortality are you looking for? Immortality <laughs> with God or immortality here on earth? Because your name is out there and people might remember you.
0: Yes, sir. I think to tag
3: along behind that, do something as a publicity stunt. Wasn't it Elon Musk who took the uh, Tesla and launched it into space? And so everybody talked about him
5: so much for the next two weeks or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
2: yep. Or getting married and divorced multiple times just to get your name in the paper. Okay. <laughs> uh,
5: I'm following up on somebody's comment. Um, you can have a building named after you doing David's. And uh, I never, I don't think I ever met the guy, but there's a guy that had a tremendous influence on my life, and his name's A.M. Burton. He gave away 90% of what he earned, and a bunch of that went to a school that made a big difference in who I am. And his
4: granddaughter's Amy Grant, she's doing pretty well I don't
5: know if she's done as well with her money as her grandfather, but her grandfather. And the the interesting story. This is the uh, was it called? Paul Harvey, and the rest of the story <laughs> is as a young man, A. M. Burton wanted to be a preacher, badly wanted to be a preacher, and had no gift for it. Uh, and yet he realized he had a gift for making money. And he used his gift wisely. If it stayed with preaching, who <laughs> knows what would happen. <laughs> he would have been dirt poor. Lips
0: wouldn't
4: be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
5: yeah. Except I didn't have the gift of making money. <laughs>
3: But you know, um, every one of us here that believe in Jesus Christ already have our names written.
2: The only place that matters. The
3: only place that matters.
2: So what are some of the false truths that motivate people to spend lots of time, money, and energy promoting themselves and or building monuments to themselves? We've covered this some already, but... A little bit different way of looking at the question, I guess.
4: Well, I think we want to go closer to ourselves instead of filthy rich, as we're calling them. I would say um, trying to be loved or forgiven Mm -hmm. by God. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And as a parent, it is tempting to try to bribe my kids. At times, I think that would certainly be a way that um, the false truth that if you buy them this or buy or do whatever, spend the money on on these things, and some of some of it they need. Um, but the <coughs> if you buy the right stuff, they're going to turn out right.
0: Well, not the phrase, I think it was in the 90s, really bothered me. Was and bumper stickers and all. He with the most toys. When he who dies with the most <laughs> toys. Wins. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just absolutely opposite, really. Yeah.
3: I think a a good example of of memory is uh, shown to us that Sunday that we had the memorial for Bert Nunez. Here was a guy that later in life called on Jesus, recognized Jesus, and turned his life to following Jesus. And showed Jesus everywhere he went. Yep. and he touched so many people absolutely. And I think that's a memorial that, uh, uh, that we can see that uh, everybody that I talked to that New said they, they saw Jesus in Yeah,
2: I wonder. And this is probably one where I, Danielle can tell you, I fail the most money spent entertaining, whether it's on, in my case, fly rides. Um, is that a form of a false truth that you're almost worshiping yourself, building monuments to yourself uh, when you spend that much of your resource on... Uh, just on your own enjoyment as opposed to other more important stuff.
3: Depends on how big a fish is you (laughs)
0: caught. How How many people did you feed?
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, in my my case it's not going to be how many people did you feed with the fish, it's how many fish did it take to feed one person. (laughs) So, what kind of legacy do you want to leave, and what would you like other people to say about you after you die? Let's see if I can.
0: His boys were
2: better men than he was. <laughs> so one that I've always one that I've always loved and we don't know much about Enoch um, about his life um, but it said that he walked with God all of his days he walked with God and was no more. I've always thought that's a pretty spectacular tribute.
3: And yet I think of son Methuselah died in the flood.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I thought about that.
4: Free will, you can be a good father and you can have your child to choose the bone. That's right. That's right.
2: <laughs> All right, so we'll move on. So we've got a few questions about um, the Herods uh, and their legacy. So uh, the first question, we're going to look at Acts 12, 1 through 4. The question is, how did Herod Agrippa, grandson of Herod the Great, who built Caesarea, <laughs> respond to the message of Jesus being spread throughout his realm? What was acts, acts 12, 1
4: through
2: 4. Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them, and he had James the brother of John put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people." So how did Herod respond?
4: Vindictive.
2: Yeah. Killed James and was planning on giving Peter the same treatment. Now that's a, a pretty pretty shallow ego when it says, he, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he decided to kill somebody else. just let's kill people because it makes the because it makes other our, our constituents happy. Yeah. So continuing on that, um, the next few verses, how did God thwart Herod Agrippa's plan? So it's 5 through 19, basically. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the, by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in the front gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. Oh, and nineteen, When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. So, yep. yeah, I love it that uh, Rhoda was so excited she forgot to open the door. That's pretty excited when you forget to do that, I think. So then, um, so we're going to be staying, just moving down to verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. I loved and I don't know how many of the rest of you when he read this, there was one lady just had this absolutely shocked look on her face. There, There are times verses in the Bible you're like, is that really... Is that in there? <laughs> but anyway, I guess this was one of those for her. We, we
4: were kind of discussing that. She and I said, never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I
3: said, yeah,
2: the
3: director told her,
2: be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there are definitely some stories in there that are pretty shocking. But anyway, so how would you describe Herod Agrippa's relationship to God? And what was the result of his attitude? He just like many of us
5: today yeah me myself and I are the three gods we worship absolutely Uh, the interesting deal was they were just flattering him if you start verse 20 uh, I'd never noticed this while I was reading it Uh, the uh, he was angry with Tyron Sidon I think that was on the video and he was apparently about to withhold their food supply. So they came down basically to ask for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And so then Herod, and all of this, stands up and I'm sure was pretty proud of himself for having had these people come groveling to him. And... Uh, but any anyway, rate they're just being uh uh they're just trying to flatter him for the food
0: yeah
2: of course studies say he did
5: become food then yeah <laughs> that's the other deal but you know in this chapter he executed uh james he executed the uh guards and then he got executed
2: yeah, he certainly got what was coming to him. Yeah,
5: So a real bad
4: way. Yeah. That'd be awful. <laughs> and it kind of was good that it was. In, there were, must have been a lot of people around because he was holding an um, audience, and to see that, I'm sure they believed in God after that.
0: Well, was yeah. he struck down, dead, and then eaten by worms? No,
4: said according to eaten? this
0: it was. Eaten by
4: worms and, and died and breathed
0: his last. Yeah. yeah well, I think it was a very yeah.
4: slow
2: patient. Yes, yeah. Sounds yeah. like okay. yeah. that'd be kinda of, kind of a gross way to go to know that you're being eaten. I don't know that any way to go is better than any of the others, but that would that seems like it'd be a pretty bad one. So Now we're actually going to leave Acts 12 and go to uh, Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through 16. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child with his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until his, until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So what did Herod do that, I guess he started the family tradition? <coughs>
4: He didn't want
0: any kingly
4: competition. Yep. Wasn't this the heir that killed his own kids and yeah. every family member he thought was trying to overthrow him? I think so. Real or imagined.
2: Yeah. Apparently being murderous scumbags ran ran in that family.
3: <laughs> Most hierarchy,
2: I Yeah, and how about Joseph? You know, the queen of
3: Israel uh name Adelia had all the all the king's sons killed except for I think it was Josiah. Said, so, any anybody that take away, you know, this is like uh, what is it, uh, something of thrones? Yeah. Game of Thrones?
2: Yeah, and I know it's not the point of of Ray's question here, but how about Joseph packing up and leaving everything he knew, moving to an enemy country, to protect a kid that wasn't his. He was, yeah, he was apparently a pretty awesome guy. Well,
3: this wasn't the first time he's had it, uh, in a relationship with an angel. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, he, he. You can see why God chose him to be the earthly father for His son. Um, so, what does this example of Herod emphasize concerning the legacy each of us will leave and the way in which the values of parents and grandparents can influence their children?
4: Well, I hope they never remember you being eaten by birds.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, in the first, Herod set this trend of you get in my way. And the rest of them kept it going. Like Danielle said, even with their own children that they thought were rivals. And that's an interesting contrast. So Herod killed his kids that he thought might be a rival, whereas David wept over Absalom. But there again, that's part of God's own heart versus,
4: Same.
2: yeah, being all in it for you. That is the end of that section. Looks like we got about four minutes left, but rather than starting a new one, I think we'll we'll end there. Thank you very much for being patient with me these last four weeks. Uh, certainly enjoyed
5: going through this series with y'all. Have a good evening. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.